episode 338. The reason I brought up scalars because I took his basic electric class. I think I've taken it a couple of times. The first time was with Matt. And I'm like, really? And they're like, hell yeah. And uh, I'm, I walked out of the class. I was like, wow, that was a freaking phenomenal class. Welcome, aftermarketers, to Remarkable Results Radio. Listen to learn just one thing from today's episode on your journey to remarkable results. Hey, welcome to the Automotive Aftermarket's Remarkable Results Radio. Here in episode 338, we are in part five of Technician Talk with Pete Landry, Matt Fonslow, and Bob Hype. Each part of this series continues to get better than the last. It is freewheeling, smart, and so evident that these three are very passionate about their career and industry. Agree or disagree with these three diagnosticians, they've got opinions. Now you be the judge. Carm Capriato here to tell you that the Aftermarket's premier podcast is supported by Federal Mogul Motor Parts. They are the reason you enjoy these great aftermarket interviews. Now, you know the brands. You've embraced them for years. Moog, Felpro, Wagner Brake, Anko, Champion, Seal Power, FP Diesel, and more. They are the parts Tech's trust. Get more information on these brands and the great programs for you at fmmotorparts.com. And thanks for your support of these brands. Hey, I need you to consult with a close friend or colleague from the industry and get them to install the Remarkable Results Radio app on their smart device, or it could be a phone or tablet. I know you are solving problems with every piece of wisdom you receive when you listen. So write, call, or have a face-to-face with your industry friend and demonstrate how you listen on your mobile device. Show them the app you've subscribed to or send them to their app store and search for Remarkable Results Radio. Download and then show how they can finger through the episodes and enjoy this powerhouse of education. And thanks much. Hey, now gear up for the Technician Roundtable, Volume 5. With me is Matt Fonslow, Diagnostician and Shop Manager at Riverside Automotive in Red Wing, Minnesota, and Bob Hype, who works for Mobile Auto Solutions as Lead Tech and Technician Manager, and Peter Landry, Mobile Diagnostician, also from Mobile Auto Solutions. Find the talking points at remarkableresults.biz slash E338. Hey, we fielded a few questions through a few social media outlets that helped guide this episode. And you can always submit a question to me for future shows at question at remarkableresults.biz, B-I-Z. As usual, an open mic session with Matt, Bob, and Peter as we discussed technician pay and the need for shop owners to improve their profits so the industry can pay better. Other topics we talked about, technicians that take their education and skill set seriously and are constantly pushing to expand on them. They also tossed around the answer to this question, what is a true master technician? We also talked fundamentals, specialization, and a whole lot more. This discussion is not without some fun, personal perspectives, and opinions, and we're all entitled to them. Now listen to Technician Roundtable Volume 5 with Bob Hype, Matt Fonslow, and Peter Landry. Hey, uh, everyone, welcome to Technician Talk Part 5 with Bob Hype, with Matt Fonslow, and Big... <laughs> big <laughs> yeah, Big Larry, yeah, up on the screen, this is Big Larry, that's Pete Landry. Hey, guys, uh, welcome to uh, our, our Part 5. It's It's been a ride having you guys on, and um, lots of people listen, and they request. I remember being at Vision, and they said, they came up to me, and, and they absolutely said, hey, when's the next one coming out? And I said, well, um, we're negotiating the, the terms of the deal to see if they're going to send me some coffee so that, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here drinking my coffee. So you guys did send my Keurig pods, so thank you very much. Let's do this thing. Hey, here's a great, uh, well, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to pick some questions. What's that, Pete? So that's not at all what I sent you, but I appreciate you lying up. Yeah, I uh, yeah, it was it was nice. Wife liked that thing too, by the way. Uh, so <laughs> we asked some questions from social media. We got a couple of that came in. We appreciate that. Question at remarkableresults.biz. Anytime you want to have a question, because we're going to do this again. Hey guys, Matt, let's go to you first. Why do you think we as an industry keep beating up our top diagnosticians by having them doing not only diagnostics, but using them them to perform heavy repairs and whatever comes in the door? Do you think it's time to have them specialize to handle just the diag side and let the others handle the heavier stuff? Uh, Probably multiple reasons. One is 
they don't have enough diagnostic type work uh, to keep one tech busy. Uh, the other thing is, is they're probably not making money on the diagnostics, uh, charging for analysis, charging for the diagnostic uh, process. Uh, therefore, it's beneficial to the shop and the technician not to be diagnosing, but taking stuff apart and putting it back together. When you say they're not making money, is it because the guy's flat rate and he's not getting the time done or the shop isn't making money on, on the uh, selling enough labor? Probably both, but I was thinking more so when I said it, the uh, shop's not charging enough or charging properly for you know, the diagnostic analysis portion of a repair. That doesn't make enough sense in my mind, guys, that just because the shop is making a mistake because they really don't know their true cost or they're, they're not able to sell what the analysis portion of a diag is about, the, the, the tech just seems to be, here, go and do this water pump. Did you have the guy sit on his hands? What if there isn't work that, for diag work? I mean, it, 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 as far as I'm concerned, the guy's there to produce and make money for the business, just like every other person there. And if there's no diag work to do, well, then, I mean, depending on the size of the shop, I mean, maybe maybe that guy is, okay, now go in the corner and sharpen your skills with some training or something like that. But the majority of the shops, I think, are probably um, two and three tech shops. Um, and if you have one tech out of, say, three, that's your diag tech, and you think all you can do is feed him diag work, there's something crazy going on in some people's heads. There's there's no way. I. I remember talking to a guy in Michigan who worked in a 20-bay shop, and he was the diag tech for that shop. And he said at times there wasn't enough diag work to keep him busy. 20 bays. I mean, he was a sharp guy. I, I don't think I, I don't wouldn't put myself in that class. It it's pretty. Uh, yeah, it uh, there's no way very, I could see that. Doesn't see very math uh, working. Yeah, it's not very practical, unfortunately. Um, but I think that's a big issue with the, you know, with this trade in general, is that the types of skills required are vast. You know, the the types of people that you would need to do diagnostics are not necessarily the same personality types or trade types that are going to do well as R and R guys. So. That's definitely a challenge that we have to have to somehow handle. I'm I'm in a unique situation that I worked flat rate for a long time. I don't know if Pete or Matt ever have worked flat rate. I, have I know not. at uh, Vision one year there was a contest to I don't know, take something apart, and uh, I'm like I think that I can do the time. I think I could probably do do well. I go, come on, Matt. And uh, there's another guy. And they're like, no way. I'm not going to do that. I, I'm, I, I don't take shit apart fast. I, I yeah. figure shit out. Yeah. In all honesty, if I had to hack it as a R&R guy, I wouldn't. Um, I've, I was never good at it. I never really enjoyed it. For me to be profitable as a flat rate uh, R&R guy. Starting my skill set. You wouldn't. You wouldn't love anything about what, that job. So you're you're mobile diagnostic right now. It's not even about loving it. It's just about you know competency. You know if it, you know how well I can do the job. I can't do the job well. That's why these guys are much better diagnosticians than I am. I am a a decent diagnostician, but I can make book hour no problem. I've never had a problem booking hours and being an R and R guy when I need to be. Matt, you're the shop manager in the Diag, Diag Tech at Red Wing. Um, do you find yourself um, getting in the mechanical a lot? Me personally, very rarely. He um, doesn't even change his own oil. <laughs> that's true. I, it's odd. I think it's just odd. I think it's uh, years of building up a, uh, a reputation and then also being very open to helping other shops around town and having a relationship with the other shops in town. So 
you know, it's mobile-esque. It's just I have a brick and mortar rather than uh, a mobile business going from shop to shop. They just send me the cars and their clients may know about it, may not know about it. But kind of getting back to the actual question, I think where I was going with the shops is if the shop doesn't value the diagnostics, they're not going to keep a guy you know, and have him kind of specialize in it when they can have them doing something they feel is more valuable, more profitable for the shop, which is brakes, water pumps, take it apart, put it back together. I think one way, certainly one way that I was able to, uh, prior to going mobile, was kind of like what you're doing, Matt, is uh, getting other shops to bring cars to the shop. And that would kind of feed the need for just doing diagnostic work. You know, you don't have people bringing them in. Yeah. And not making them feel bad about it. You know, oh, no, you can't. You have to do that. <laughs> I think that's a requirement. Hey, hey, Matt, a question. You were discussing about the amount of diag work that comes in. If a shop has a, a lot of diag work, a very talented diagnostician, can they make just about as much money with that as they could on the mechanical side? If it's all done and run right. I think arguably more, um, but yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, is if they have this type of a uh, individual skilled already and passionate about remaining uh, skilled and increasing their skills and abilities, that it's hard to qualify how much work is brought in because you have this person that is really good at diagnostics uh, and even more so than diagnostics, the technology side of things, right? Programming, coding, uh, initializing setup stuff that uh, if you got a person that can do that, because you could do that on this vehicle, you may win the work of their entire fleet of vehicles at home, which is, you know, what, two and a half vehicles? And it seems to me that the shop that's going to have that kind of focus, Matt, has to have a commitment to training. Huge. It's got to be ongoing. Ongoing. What, what else? I mean, the shop has to pay for it. The shop should be involved in taking care of that. You know, perfect world, yeah. The the, the shop would uh, pay for the training, pay for the technician's time at the training, and then uh, have multiple streams of training, right? They're instructor-led, online training. You know, even, even considering uh, time that the tech spends on his own, uh, learning from just networking. You know, there's a lot to be learned in networking. I learn a lot being friends with Bob and Pete and many other people. I learn a lot. Liar. Liar. That's <laughs> not lying. Did Pete bail you out today? I don't think we talked today, but he's bailed me out. Ooh. Big time. You mentioned oh. uh, you mentioned instructor-type training. What's the pros and cons of it, Matt? Uh, typically, it's at night. Uh, so usually when you're attending it, you've already put in a full day. And now you're sitting in a classroom for, you know, four hours, three and a half hours, and they're dumping a bunch of information on you. And then it's back to work the next day. And oftentimes you're in the classroom again for another three and a half, four hours. So that second night can be pretty brutal. And that second day to work after the second night of training can be really brutal. Yeah. I'm talking to Bud Houston, a technical product specialist with Federal Mogul Motor Parts. Hey, Bud, what's the best thing about the Guru on the Go van? Yeah, I think that the, the best thing about the van and the kind of the mission is it's twofold. One, one is ultimately to bring brand awareness uh, of the Federal Mogul portfolio. But I think the way that we do that is we bring value to the technician, the shop owner. And, and how we do that is, is we bring technical content, we bring some updated material. And once they see that I care about their operation, their reputation, and their qualifications, one, they're, they're built up, but two, they, they really, at that point, listen to what I have to say about the brands. And, it, and it's built, the relationship is built on a, a mutual benefit. So you bring technical stuff and you bring product specific. Yeah, me personally, I, I'm, I'm super technical, technical background. So anytime I'm doing a lunch and learn or a van visit uh, training session, it's, it's typically 90% technical, 10% uh, product. Any new Moog products that are getting good reviews? 
Yeah, one that's recently released is uh, uh, the Dodge Ram 25 and 3500 Complete Steering Assembly. It's uh, inner and outer tie rod ends and drag link pre-assembled. Uh, this is the first uh, aftermarket um, part that's available in a complete assembly for this application. And then the specific application to late model Dodge Rams are, are actually a, a kind of a high failure part on, on the chassis parts. What about the compression-loaded ball joints with pre-installed integral dust boot? Yeah, the, the integral dust boot has been a huge hit. Initially, the, the idea was, was, well, where is the boot? And then once you kind of get around and show people, they're like, well, that is the best idea I've ever seen because I've torn so many boots on installation or I've had a boot that's not seated properly. And they're like, well, that's just not an issue now. And, and they love it. Federal Mogul Motor Parks' Garage Gurus is your go-to source for the vehicle training, technology, and answers you need to keep your next job on track. On-site, online, or on-demand, the gurus are here to help keep your business and your career on the road to success. Visit fmgarageguru.com. I did an interview with uh, Ryan Coyman and a couple of guys from Standard, and we talked about daytime. And they absolutely know the benefits of daytime training, but they can't fill the classes. What's your opinion? Without trying to oversimplify, the answer is it's it's all about profit. There's a lot of stuff we talk about. There's a lot of stuff that's been talked about in previous podcasts, our own and others. And it really just boils down to profit. The shop has to be profitable enough to take money and invest it where it needs to be invested. And part of that would be daytime training, being able to pay a tech to go to training, not be at the shop producing, paying for his wages, paying for the training, not being there to turn hours. There has to be profit to do that. That's what it comes down to. And then I guess we kind of have a culture thing going in this trade where, the, you know, we really just don't really do daytime training. Training's at night. And the tech needs to be worthy of, or showed that they're worthy of the investment. Right. Bob brings up a really good point. There's the technician's got to show that he's worthy of it too. Meaning that he's attending this training and then comes back and applies it, shows that he's improving with the training. You know, it's all fine and dandy sending people to training, but if they're just there twiddling their thumbs, texting people, surfing through Facebook, well, why keep sending them? And, and maybe they have to be dealt with further than that as well. They don't really need to have a position in your company, but why continue to send somebody that can't absorb that information, come back and apply it? That, that's a tough investment for the shop. Is that, guys, uh, what you think of wh- why some shop owners are reluctant to, in- to pay for and invest in training? Because they, they, don't, they may not have the right guy who's bringing back the goods? Well, it's a good justification to hang on to the money. Uh, just to tell yourself that story, whether it's true or not, um, that you know, he or she is not worth financial burden or time away from work or whatever. But uh, on this note, Carm, you you talk with a lot of these uh, like business type coaches. Have you ever heard of a percentage of gross profit or a percentage of sales or something that should be uh, pushed into training uh, as part of the budget? Have you ever heard of a no, I I hear about marketing numbers like six percent in marketing or five maybe five percent in marketing. You know what? That is a great question, Larry. In fact, I think what I'll do is in the next newsletter I may ask. That's big, Larry. Did I say? Oh, that's right. It's big, Larry, not little, Larry. And that's really Peter. I am so confused today. I mean, we've had we've had Peter on for how many episodes, and now it's big, Larry. Wow. I have an alter ego. Is that your stage name? It must be, huh? That's kind of that's kind of personal. Thanks for that's, asking. That, that's his prison name. <laughs> <laughs> me and me and Ted. <laughs> now that's a way insider. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. I, I think what we need to do is we need to find that out. And you know what? This whole this whole discussion. I was I was at ATE this year. Uh, hordes of guys bringing their techs, closing the shop, coming in for you know solid eight dozen hours of training. I find it fascinating that some shops can and some shops can't. 
Now, Bob, I know you're working mobile tech. When you were in the shop, were you carte blanche to go to any training you wanted to go to? No. I got I could take um I mean I took all of the automotive seminars classes that came around. That was six times a year. If I wanted to go to the ASA Illinois um weekend, I could do that. When it came time for vision, I talked my employers uh, into they paid for the classes. I paid for my hotel and transportation. Um, and then I was lucky enough to uh, not have to pay for my transportation other than a, a meal during that trip. You know, you bring up such a good point, and maybe the people that are listening uh, are struggling with the fact that I really, you know, I've read an, read articles that says I, techs really want to do the training, and they just can't seem to get the wherewithal from the owner to invest in them. Um, where Where is the point where... Uh, they go on their own, they come back, they prove, then the owner says, I'll pay for the class. They come back, they prove, then the owner says, I'll pay for the class and your time off and the transportation. Is that maybe the kind of evolution that techs that really need and want training need to negotiate with their owner? Well, it's definitely going to need to be a negotiation because I think it's very few and far between that you're going to get the guy that's going to say, hey, let me uh, let me part with my cash so you can have a little easier time uh, getting the skills you need to do your job. I, I think the majority of owners look at a um, a weekend of training as, I mean, what are they doing? Are they go- actually going to class? Are they out partying? I mean, they're not there, so th- they're not really sure. Um, it's legitimate to wonder. I mean, uh, except if you're wondering in my world, you got the wrong guy going. The guy that goes should have already set an example of this is this guy that I want to go <clears throat> or send. You uh, yeah. learn. I mean, it's a situation that I think that if you're employed, you should show the employer what you bring to the table. And you should make that guy or company whatever money. And in return, they should say, hey, you bring a lot to the table. I should share the wealth. Um, But what employees don't understand is they're paid a compensation package. Part of the compensation package has to be wages, vacation, health care, training. I mean, on and on and on. All of that goes into a package. And most guys don't understand that it is, it has to be part of the budget. Right. And that's part of that negotiation, right? Correct. But I think that scenario where Karm brought up a technician just saying, you know what? I'm going to training. I'm going to pay for it. I'm going to get there. Really, essentially what I did and what, did you end up doing that, Bob? I know I ended up doing that. Uh, I paid. I paid for my uh, hotel, but the, my I got the boss to pay for the, all the training. Okay, so, I didn't get paid wages or anything. Yeah, the uh, the that situation, that scenario to me is kind of the same scenario as why shop owners or you know typical shop owners don't pay for it anyways. Is it's really really easy to see the expense out of the check account checking account. It's really, really easy to see that expense on the balance sheet or the um, profit loss. It's really, really hard to calculate that out unless you run into like one of those situations where you got this car sitting there and it's doing something weird and you walk over and you're like, oh yeah, I know what's wrong. I went to a class on this. And then the shop owner's like, oh wow. Which is a gross expectation. Huge. But that's why I kept the wheels on my toolbox, well lubed. And I, I mean, I had employer, uh, put an ad in the, uh, for a technician at the shop and they put the ad in for wages more than I was making. So I I applied. (laughs) Yep. Yep. (laughs) I'm not surprised at all, Bob. (laughs) 
<laughs> guys, you bring up you you bring up some great stuff, and and I've taken some notes here. I want to follow along. Cost versus investment. So training costs, but you know if it costs a thousand bucks for you know a weekend worth of training, and you think of it as an investment within the next two or three months. Don't you guarantee you can make that money back in a quicker, faster diagnostic that you can bring in a job that maybe you could have not done before under under book time? Isn't isn't it an investment? Shouldn't man? You said profit and loss balance sheet. It's almost like if you think about a balance sheet, hold your assets. Training and and the technician should mentally be over there. Mentally, for sure, it absolutely should be on that side. Um, I agree with that. Um, and training itself. Is it's almost like a, a a true investment, like an IRA, where the payoff isn't so much immediate. You know, I, I invest this thousand dollars, and then over the course of this year, I'm going to make back two, three, four, ten thousand dollars, whatever that number may be. But at the same but, time, that is also not guaranteed. It isn't guaranteed. None of it's guaranteed. Yeah, but if you got those those technicians that take that serious, take their training serious, take their education. Uh, and skill sets serious and want to continue to um, expand on them or uh, further, what's the word I'm looking for? Like make it more robust. The, 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 the word you're looking for is if I go to training, no matter if it's my dime or your dime, Mr. Employer, it's my career, I want to earn more money. And I want to be, re- I want to be so good at what I do for you that you will not hesitate to compensate me in the right way. And hopefully you're making the shop money too. And I mean, I think that's can get slippery too because how much responsibility is it the technicians to make the shop money, right? That you, you need to do what um, is sold, right? You got to be able to do the work and do it at a high quality um, fashion, but it's also up to the front of the house to bill properly, right? So we got a dynamic going on that I think can get, we well, could really course. go off and on I think it's tangent. somewhat of a I think it's somewhat of a sunshine and puppies outlook to think that you know the boss is going to be excited to pay you extra money. I mean at the end of the day his number one job is to keep expenses low and 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 revenues high, right? I mean that's the goal. So if he doesn't have to, you're not negotiating or pushing for it, why would he want to? Or why would he be excited to? I don't even want to go there, Pete, but you bring up such a great point that we could talk hours on this. The, the, the compensation levels, you know, the struggle in finding new techs to come into our industry. And, and, and again, I, I'm saying this only to maybe, if you will, put a pin in the, in our discussion that we can, we can do this later. It's not attractive enough because we're not paying enough wages. So there's a dichotomy of revenues, revenues high, expenses low, but yet uh, we're not maybe running great businesses. Maybe our margins aren't intelligent and right. Maybe our marketing is weak and maybe there's just too many stuck in the middle and the frustration level is high. It prompts me to think that of all of the shop owners that I've interviewed in the last three years, I need to give them a survey. I'd love to come back with that and find out, you know, a little bit about pay, a little bit about investment of training, uh, nighttime, daytime. I really think it would be great to be able to find a model of what tr- an investment of training looks like at top shops. I, I agree. I, I think you'll find that they don't look at it in short term. It's very long term outlooks that it's going to be a continued investment and it pays back um you know, exponentially over time. Hey, Bob, um, you've been semi-quiet, and, and I, I get worried about that. Um, what's your number one go-to source for tech support? Well, that would be Pete Laundry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Did you catch that? Yeah, I got, I got that. Mm-hmm. Uh, my number one go-to source for tech support would be my... Uh, Obviously, I've I've exhausted any kind of information, service information um, that I have access to. Then for tech support, I'm going to go to my network. What are the basics that, that you exhausted? What's that? What are the basics that you, you say, once I've exhausted the basics that I use, what, what are they? The service information that I have. Okay. 
So including um, discretion her, operation, including TSBs, um, maybe new car features, some kind of you know, manufacturer training information that may be available as aftermarket, the identifixes, the IATNs, these types of things. And then, then you go to your network of which includes what? My network of people that I know would obviously be the uh, 14 other technicians that I work with. Um, and then a Skype group that I belong to. And uh, if it can't be answered there, it can't be answered. Ever throw your hands up? Yeah, Temporarily. Maybe for, yeah, maybe okay. for a second. Ah, good answer. I like that. Yeah, I think, I think it's a proper answer in my honest opinion, too. And I try to tell people that, you know what, sometimes you get so sucked into stuff that you'd stop thinking straight. And I said, I've left jobs, told the customer, you know what? I got another job I got to do. I'll be back. Don't worry. I'm on it. I'm 10 minutes out of the shop and I'm like, oh, crap. I know what's wrong with that car. And it's just that all of a sudden you have that clarity. You took the pressure off and and you knew you bought some time and yeah. you had a chance with, with a, if you will, a new set of a new set of eyes, a clearer mind. And all of a sudden it bubbles to the top. Yeah. And I mean, I think that the majority of the people out there are that way. I mean, when you're in a muck of crap and you can't see your way out, I don't care if it's working on a car or fight with your wife, you know, a cooling off period, either one you can't win. So <laughs> and this would be true. You said network. How many guys are listening said Ooh, I guess I better start. It's networking. Hopefully not. Well, I, I would hope so. I would hope so. But um, I'll bet you there's some out there that don't have a network. Well, certainly. But I think it's easier now than ever to um, to get involved in any network with okay. all the Facebook groups. The, you yeah. know, I, and that new website that uh, Scott Brown's doing. Yeah. Diag.net. Yeah, I can't tell you how many Facebook groups that i am uh, been added to. Um, I don't know that I contribute that much to them. Um, it uh, is just one of those things. It's all about how much time and do I feel that there's going to be a value um, to it. A value so, for your for your effort, right? A value yeah. for the time and effort yeah. you're going to put into an answer. Am I even going to get closure on this discussion? Probably not. Yeah. So at that point, the value diminishes quickly. The reason that I, I mentioned the word network is I was really trying to drive into an individual people. I mean, you said, oh, I got 14 network sources. You're obviously including Facebook groups, right? No, well, no, no. When said I said 14, that was coworkers. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I Okay, I'm, I back off on that. So there were 14 coworkers. But you would, you would include, uh, obviously, Pete is a coworker. Matt is a, in the network. Matt's in my Skype network. He's in your Skype network. Okay. There's probably 30 guys in that okay. Skype network. All right. Matt, do you hover on that and keep an eye on it during the day? I've I've been better about it, but I try to, yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's usually a lot of really good conversations going on. Uh, or like Bob's uh, hinted towards, if you go in there, you've kind of covered your bases and you ask for some help. Uh, if they can't help lead you to it, uh, I don't know if it can be done. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I think it's, I don't know that there's ever been a failed diagnosis in that group. That's great. Eventually there's an answer. But there will be work involved. Yeah, absolutely. It's not a silver bullet room by any means. Um, though on occasion you will have people asking you to look things up for them, but it's pretty annoying, but it happens. Hey, Pete, is the best way to learn the basics is to mentor under a master technician? Absolutely. I believe it is. Um, it's not the end-all, be-all for it. Um, certainly, fundamentals are only going to be uh, driven in with um, personal experience and things of that nature. Um, so time and effort, obviously, are going to play a role in that. How well you understand the fundamentals is it, it, it's all a personal responsibility i guess i would say 
um, no matter what your method of learning the fundamentals are, um, it, it, it comes down to you and how, how inquisitive you are with each piece of information you're given and how you, how well you can, uh, step back and go, well, what does that mean? You know, what is that? How do, how do I relate that? Which gets to be inc increasingly difficult without experience. So, um, it gets much easier if you get your ass kicked, you know, you get beat up on a car, you lose your lunch, whatever. Those lessons are not forgotten. The missteps, the misunderstanding of some fundamental piece that you didn't have, assuming you take that opportunity to learn from it, those are, you know, a lot of times the best lessons. So if, if you have somebody there holding your hand and showing you the way, that may be a disadvantage. In I that, think it depends on the guy holding your hand right. and how you define well, master. And how you define holding hands. That may just be a, a little nudge in the right direction, but it may also be, well, just do this, 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 and this. And if that comes up that way, do it this. Okay, well, then you've had no actual original thought whatsoever, and you didn't learn anything. And usually that guy's referred to as an asshole. I was just going to say that. Like Matt. Yes, I was just going to say that. Bob is a different word. It takes a special yes. person to be a mentor or a, um, you know, yeah, it, it does, doesn't it? But yeah, it really does. I think that uh, there's a lot of people out there that want to call themselves master technicians. And uh, I don't want to take anything away from anybody. I'm not trying to uh, slam people per se, but um, I think a true master is always going back and reviewing basics and taking basic stuff. And I've seen guys that uh, uh, struggle with voltage drops that would call themselves master technicians. Um, I'm not going to go to a basic class, a basic electrical class. Um, that's, that's below me. Um, and depending on who's teaching the class can make a guy that is a advanced um, master technician go back to a simple basic class and go, huh, that's a different way of looking at things. I think I could uh, roll that into my uh, diagnostic tool bag. But there's too many guys out there that uh, puff up their chests, say, you know what, been there, done that, just pay me. But haven't you been there and done that, Bob? Hell yeah. I was at ATE this year up in Seattle, and I saw a great presentation on basic electric. It was it was so impressive, and there were 500 in the room. Was and, it Dave Scaler? Uh, no. And I... Uh, I saw uh, I saw a lot of eyes light up, and it, it wasn't a basic electric class. It was just someone talking about the fundamentals of of training and why getting back to some basics and, and doing it. it. It was almost the story. I think was every three to four or five years you'll pick up one new thing, even though those laws don't change the way we do diagnostics does. And a a, tri a, a tip or two always seems to come out of these these classes. Uh, kind of. Um, adding to what Pete said and where you, what you were kind of talking about is I think it's important that um, everybody in the trade kind of remembers that. Uh, and I don't even really know who to um, credit with this. I, I think it was Randy Burnclaw. Um, it might have been Jim Kemper. But I think we have to really consider and keep in mind that just we, when we talk about fundamental, I think everybody jumps to the conclusion that fundamental means easy. And that isn't necessarily the case. So taking a fundamental class or a fundamental course is not necessarily going to be easy, quote unquote easy. I, I know that I've gone to basic classes that have, um, and I mean, the reason I brought up Scalar is because I took his basic electric class. I think I've taken it a couple of times. The first time was with Matt. And I'm like, Really? And they're like, hell yeah. And uh, I'm, I walked out of the class. I was like, wow, that was a freaking phenomenal class. I, I went to an advanced class, um, advanced diagnostic class one year. 
And it was nothing but basics. And there's nothing wrong with basics. But don't sell me it, that it's advanced. Sell me that it's basics that are going to help me in my advanced training or my advanced diagnostics, whatever. And then on top of it, the instructor had was spewing misinformation. Uh, I was just mind boggled. You know, at some point, we should uh, sit down and think about what qualifies a class to be titled advanced and what qualifies a class to be basic. And what's a better word than basic that'll actually put some asses in the chairs? I think Matt said it, fundamentals. Or is that still too easy sounding? No, we're in a pretty, I don't want to say politically correct, but uh, snowflake-ish society that they don't want, it's beneath me, right? Fundamentals beneath me, uh, basic is beneath me. uh, The only way they're going to go to these classes is if they hear somebody that they respect and consider their equal or better say, wow, what a great class. I can't wait. I'm going to do that class again. I got the, cl- I got the title, Pete. Okay, go ahead. Everything you ever wanted to know about Volt, Ohms, Amps, and Resistance, but you were afraid to ask. There you go. You might be onto something. Or didn't even know to ask. <laughs> right. There you go. But a lot of times, you know, especially with fundamentals slash basic classes, you may, what I have found, and, and I'm really glad Bob mentioned uh, Scalar's class because this is a perfect example of it, is the perception and their outlook and approach to analyzing those fundamental pieces and how how their thought process works and how they work through those issues based on those fundamentals, based on those basics and how that works and somewhat proves it to be true. And ultimately, you know, you can kind of see how it flows. It gives you examples of, of that. So I think there's a lot to be learned, even if you already have an electrical degree, a degree in electrical engineering or something like this to go take a practical application to fundamentals or basics with a practical application is totally different than a theoretical understanding of something. Because I can tell you a number of different classes I went to on a new technology that I haven't worked on. And at the end of the class, I'm convinced I understand this. I'm convinced I'm ready to knock one out tomorrow. I don't, it's no problem. And the first one shows up, whether it's tomorrow, a month, a year later, and guess what? I don't know it as well as I thought I knew it leaving class. You know, and that's where you develop the questions. But Pete's talking about something that's uh, the, that practical application is extremely important because if, if we run with what he's brought up of a theoretical, there's a lot of stuff we get taught that is absolutely theoretically wrong. But the practical application of it is fine. It's, it almost has to be that way. I, I saw a thing on Facebook recently. The guy's talking about a power probe and how a power probe um, can affect a circuit. All I could think of looking at this post was this guy needed to see Pete Landry's electrical class at Vision, and then he would have understood impedance. Because it was obvious that most of the guys, given this guy's post, don't understand what impedance is and how it affects the circuit. And I'll stand right up and say, there's a lot of stuff impedance wise. I don't really, it's not that practical, but there's a lot of things that are right to what level of analysis you need to understand it. That's up for debate. You better know how your tool is going to affect everything though. Right. Absolutely. Right. That's that's not really up for. Yeah, right. I, I would agree. That's not a one bag ohm. Uh, yeah, well, they can't even put a spec on it because it's dynamic. They can't put a they can't put a number on it. It's a great tool. I use it every day, but you know when to use it, when not to. Right. Yep. Yeah, I love my power. Well, I I love my Power Probe four less than I love my Power Probe three. I just wish I hadn't fried my Power Probe three. 
I need to get on the horn with Carlos. Yeah, I kind of liked the three better, too. I thought it responded faster. Yeah, I like it way better. But I saw that pretty four, and I really liked it, so I had to get one. Bet you got a hook, too. I do have a hook, yeah. Yeah, it's actually sitting down here in the basement. That's how often I use it. <laughs> that was a good good use of 500 bucks there, I'll tell you. <laughs> 400, 500, I don't remember what it cost me. Oh, dear. Hey, guys, uh, I, I love the chatter. Thank you so much for it. Um, I, I got, in, in the remaining moments, let's talk about specialization. You know, from where you see it, is is this going to be a change in business models? I mean, you guys are techs that work in the industry. Um, a lot of guys have specialty shops. Some of them are putting up their second shop. It's going to be all makes all models. Some are going from Euro to Asian. Uh, will there be specialization within a large shop of 10 bays and have a couple of specialists inside? What do you hear? What do you see? What do you think? What do you feel? There's a lot of logic to it. Um, however, you have to have the car counts to support it Uh, the shop i'm at and i think i've mentioned this before there's just no way for us to have the car counts to specialize in you know one two three different car lines it's pretty much all makes all models especially to keep me busy it's got to be all makes all models to keep me busy um if we're smaller maybe just a couple techs then maybe we could pick one or two car lines otherwise for even larger shops uh, especially if they do want to work on multiple car lines. I think specialization within systems is the way to go. You know, get your undercar alignment guy, get your diagnostics guy, um, your uh, maybe your uh, uh, heavy line engines and transmissions guy. Uh, I, think, like I think that uh, the correct answer for this, um, and Carm, you're going to own. Uh, John Riggle, ten bucks or something is depends. Right, and not the adult diapers. It's just that it's dependent on the variables, right? Right. Yeah, because I mean, like Matt's talking about how large the shop, how small the shop is, um, but he didn't even touch on where's the shop. Yeah, marketplace. Is it, yeah, the, yeah. You have the car count. or yeah. is it you know? Right. So essentially, I, mean, I think you could boil it down to some some vagueness in the way that um, you play to your strengths. And um, if you're a two, three base shop, you're not going to have all the specialists that Matt just mentioned because you really only got two techs working there, right? Yep. So you're not going to, you know, uh, have all these specialists. So you, you play to your strengths. No one to say no. Right. I don't, I don't see it very uh, pragmatic to you know, say we're a Honda Toyota only. And, um, you know, I'm sure that works in a lot of marketing, you know, on several markets. And I'm sure there's plenty of people that are successful doing that. But generally speaking, I, I can't see how it's plausible. Thanks for the answers, guys. Uh, there, there really isn't any answer. And you're all right. It depends. It really, really depends. Yeah, I think it ties into the beginning of this uh, roundtable is that as a manager, as a shop owner, you want to put your people in the best position to succeed. So if I've got Pete Landry working for me, do I really want him doing water pumps and brakes? No. So I'm going to try to bring in the work that Pete's really good at because that's where I'm going to make the money. And then if I can make the money, then hopefully I can pass that on to Pete as well, redistribute it to uh, Pete. And then if I've got some guys, uh, some techs that are really good at tearing it apart, putting it back together. I'm going to get the work in that keeps those guys going. Yeah, it was a, we had a really nice dynamic at the shop when my brother was uh, working there and I was working there. He was a nuts and bolts guy. He could, he could do like Bob and, you know, beat those times and do that. He was uh, not a strong diagnostician at all, but um, we complimented each other very well in that way. That's a great point. It, it worked well. Build build a complementary team inside, and there's probably nothing you can't handle. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, then it just comes down to tooling, right? Yeah, it's a lot like a team, right? You know, you got Super Bowl teams that were offensive-oriented. You have some that were very defensive-oriented, and you built the team around that, and that's the game you played. 
And if you ended up trying to play that other game, you usually got mopped. And I think yeah, I mean, it's the same in, in sports, fighting, everything. You either yeah, you yeah. fight your fight. If yep. you force me to fight your fight, my chances of success are minimal. I play to my own strengths, and uh, it's got to be your game. Got to be your game, and, and build on the strengths yep, of your or team. I'm and, take my ball and go home. That's it. Yeah, and your marketplace and the demographics. Yeah, I get it. Hey, uh, one last question: Would uh, you guys ever buy an electric vehicle? Mine's half electric. What do you have? I have a Ford Escape Hybrid that some people are going to say I bought because a mentor of mine owned one, but really I bought it because it was dirt cheap. No, you bought it because John has. But anyways. But it was cheap, too. Yeah, but John has one. You're right. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you, Eric has, too. You, you forced well, him to say on the podcast, so. If I could figure out how electricity works, I would consider. <laughs> can, I, can I recommend a uh, fundamental class to you or a basic class? Uh, well, this this whole thing is stitched together, so it's a perfect ending. Who would have thought? <laughs> uh, Pete, would you ever uh, buy an EV? If it uh, if it suited my needs, yeah, absolutely. But um, as of right now, or and my budget, you know. Uh, yeah, for me, it's all about what purpose. It's got to be a purpose driven. I mean, I'm not buying a vehicle just to say I bought an EV. Right. Um, I got a pickup truck, my wife's, because we're pulling a camper. It's a tool. Um, and I mean, my, my Ford before that, uh, I mean, that for the most part sits in the garage because now all I drive is the work truck. Ford Flex, and it was big enough to throw everything, dogs, whatnot, in the vehicle and go on a trip. So yeah. every. It's all purpose-driven. Right now, for us, uh, you know, the the grocery getter and family hauler, to get in a, a hybrid that'll support those needs, it's just out of this world expensive, right? What do you think of Ford saying they're only going to make two cars? I love it. Uh, that's kind of forced, right? Just says the public wants trucks. Yeah. And, and, uh, and uh, SUVs, SUVs, yeah. Yeah. Smart decision. Yeah, they know their market. Mm -hmm. All right. Tech Talk Part 5. You guys were on your game. I'm telling you, even though you were sick, Bob, and you weren't feeling well, man, thank you. Bob's Bob's always a little sick. I just uh, lobbed the soft ones out there, and Peter, you hit them out of the park every time. (laughs) Usually not. I threw him a softball at a class, and he dropped the goddamn thing. That's because I was was within inches of wetting myself up there. Pete Landry, Bob Hype, Matt Fonslow, thanks for being here, guys. We'll see see you in part six. So part six, we should get the questions sooner. Hey, thanks, Pete Landry, Matt Fonslow, Bob Hype. Appreciate it. Thanks for your passion and commitment to drive a stronger aftermarket. Find the bios and the talking points at remarkableresults.biz slash E338. Hey, don't forget about one of the easiest ways to listen to the podcast is on your smart device. Go to your app store and type in Remarkable Results Radio and click install. It's your own podcast listening app for automotive aftermarket wisdom. Every episode release is at your fingertips. Hey, I love it when you write. Drop me a line, carm at remarkableresults.biz or head over to the contact page on the website. You are an important reason I bring you these interviews so you can profit from the answers found in each episode. So glad to have you here. Hey, listen hard. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time. 